Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our special guest is a repeat guest, Paul Kengor. Paul is an author and a professor of political science at Grove City College. He's the executive director of the Center for Vision and Values at Grove City College, a think tank policy center. He's also a visiting fellow at the Hoover Institute on War, Revolution, and Peace at Stanford University. And uh, Paul, appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk to us today. Yeah, thanks, Deacon Jeff. Good to be back. Well, I'll tell you what, I we're going to talk about your, your new book out, The Devil and Karl Marx. And, you know, I had seen in some of your interviews, it said you, it took you a long time to make this. Why is now the right time to talk about you know, the history of Marxism and and kind of where we are today? Well, for me, it's always the right time. I mean, I've been talking about this for 30 years. Um, I, I guess um, while well, I graduated from college in 1990, May 1990, and that was the year that the Berlin Wall fell, and I was the editor for my student newspaper, and I was I was writing about this stuff back then. And then I went on to graduate school and wrote my first few books, I guess my first book was a book on the faith of Ronald Reagan in 2004, and then Ronald Reagan and the Collapse of Communism. That book was called The Crusader. I did a book back in 2017 on Reagan and Pope John Paul II, and um, not to go through all of this stuff, but I'm kind of thinking this through as you're saying, as you ask this question. <laughs> I, did, I did a book in 2010 that was called The Communist on uh, Barack Obama's mentor, Frank Marshall Davis. I did the, the Politically Incorrect Guide to Communism. So I guess I say all of that, Deacon Jeff, because some people are saying, um, wow, your timing here is providential. Well, no, nah, I've kind of been writing about this stuff, publishing books on it for 20 years. And I, 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 But it's, it's probably more relevant to everybody else right now, right? right? Be, because of what they're seeing. But I'm not surprised by what I'm seeing, and and you know this is a drum that I've been beating for a long, long time since I started teaching full time at Grove City College, 1997, speaking around the country. I mean, I would get asked to do these talks, Deacon Jeff, around the country by desperate students at colleges, and I'd give a talk called "Why Communism Is Bad," and they they would plead with me, "Please come, please come, please," because no <laughs> they're being told the total opposite, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they were being taught the complete opposite. And so they didn't know, and the stuff I'm talking about, that I talk about in this book, The Devil and Karl Marx, on Marx, people don't know any of this. And in a cancel culture where they're obsessed with finding, you know, any insensitive statement in anybody's past on race, sex, any, any, uh, any form of bigotry, I think they're shocked to see... Uh, stuff from Karl Marx that's far worse than they've seen on anybody that they're canceling on the cancel culture. And a lot of them, frankly, don't believe it because this just wasn't what they were told about one of their heroes, kind of like the Margaret Sanger situation, right? Yep, yep. Oh, she couldn't possibly have spoke to the KKK. I mean, you know, she should be on Mount Rushmore this this moment. So they, it, it, it's all completely new to them because it, it's material that they haven't learned. Well, you know, I've read uh, I've read Dupes, I've read Pope and a President, a, and excellent books. Really love them. I actually think if you know if I was going to tell people to read your books, I would read this one first 
and then read those other ones because I just think you know the history behind the the craziness and and the infiltration that's tried to go on in in the 20th century here in the United States really the picture becomes crystal clear when you read the devil and Karl Marx yeah and and probably speaking of infiltration the the longest section of the book is I think it's part four and that's on the infiltration manipulation penetration of churches in the in the United States and the in the Soviet bloc especially in the United States and that's even longer than the section on Karl Marx. And yeah, it is. Really, yep. Yeah, yeah. As I say in the start of the book, it probably ought to be called the devil on communism, right? Because it it goes well beyond the person of Marx, but the yeah, the, the penetration of churches, the deliberate infiltration of churches in the United States. Yeah, I, I hope people can kind of sweat it through the awful stuff on Marx and Lenin and Engels and 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 get to that because that takes us really to where we are right now. And you know, I hit in particular the 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 horrible degree of penetration in the the, the Protestant mainline denominations, the United well, Methodist Church. Yep. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say. I mean, you know, it was it was interesting because. Uh, you know, you read about Karl Marx, the Communist Manifesto, and somebody might look at that and say, well, I don't see anything about the devil, but, you know, just the foundation and, and what led to the infiltration of churches, you know, when you start talking about the poetry of Karl Marx and kind of the the thought process between him and, and Friedrich Engel, I mean, it is spooky. I almost thought I was reading the screw tape letters when I'm when I'm listening to you know reading this and and seeing how they've twisted everything around. Yeah, they really did. I mean, there's a lot of mocking, kind of aping of God, and you give, and, and that in itself has a kind of a sacrilege, you know, e- e- evil element to it. I talk about Marx and his buddy Bruno Bauer, who was his basically a systematic theology professor at the first college that he went to, and to show you how things haven't changed from 19th century Germany to 21st century America, the theology professor was an atheist. Can't make this up. Yeah, that's right. And the theology professor, by the way, was also just um, a raving anti-Semite, which is where Marx, who was Jewish, ironically, first got a lot of his anti-Semitism. So those two founded, the you know, professor and star pupil, founded this journal called the Archives of Atheism, and they kind of scandalized one of their local villages in Germany by riding into the village on Palm Sunday on donkeys, kind of mocking Christ's entrance into Jerusalem. The, the, the Communist Manifesto, people do not know this, Deacon Jeff, and but I, yeah, I quote the letters from Marx to Engels and Engels to Marx. Engels said... One of those letters to Marx, um, he said, hey, give a little more thought to the communist confession of faith. I think we should drop the catechetical form of the thing and instead just call it simply the manifesto. So you know, they were calling the communist manifesto their, their catechetical confession of faith, their communist confession of faith. So there, there, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of, um, and you see this throughout throughout the book and throughout the history of Marxism and communism, where where the disciples, the founders, really, truly, for all their yelling and screaming about how they're atheists and how religious people are supernatural, superstitious idiots, they treat their Marxism, their communism, like a religion. 
they treat their their Darwinian evolution like 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 you know, like a religion again and again and again. And you read that and you think to yourself, how dare you guys make make fun of religious people? I mean, you're you're treating Darwin here like a god. Yeah, you're do, treating Marx do, like a god. Yeah, do as I say, not as I do. And you know, a lot of people attribute to that point. You know. Religion is kind of the opium of the people, but the whole statement is religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of the heartless world, and soul of the soulless condition. It is the opium of the people. I mean, they, yeah, for some, you know, it's do as I say, not as I do. As I mentioned, it's, it's well, we'll create our own religion, but if you don't believe in us, then we're trashing you. You just quoted there is more than, than probably you know, 99% of your audience, and even a, you know, a really good, intelligent, sophisticated audience like yours has, has heard about the, the opiate of the masses line. I mean, I had, I had a conservative student uh, a couple years ago who said to me, yeah, opiate of the masses, I mean, that's obviously demeaning and it's a bad statement, but it's really not that bad because, you know, Mar- Marx meant that that religion was like a crutch to people. And for many people, you know, religion is like a crutch. It's like a drug. And I, and I said, yeah, but have you read the full statement, right? That, 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 that line is part of like two sentences. And he didn't know what I was talking about. If you, you read the whole thing. Yeah, sigh of, uh, sigh of the oppressed creature, heart of a heartless world, soul of soulless conditions, is the opiate of the masses. And he also says in that essay, that the criticism of religion is the beginning of all criticism. So when you see that, and also I got to say here for this Catholic audience, he uh, Marx commended Martin Luther, um, and, and he he said just as the revolution began in the brain of the monk, now now it continues in the in the mind of the philosopher. Yep. So so he saw Martin Luther's br- uh, break from Rome. When Marx became a Christian, when he was baptized as a, as a, as a child, and, and his father became a Christian, they were Lutherans. They were Lutherans in, in, a, in an overwhelmingly Catholic community, uh, a Trier, Germany. And you know, you know, they, they, to them, Luther provided this crucial break from Rome that would allow them the, the, the vital possibility of, of, of coming up with your own definitions and interpretations. And by doing that, by breaking away from Rome, they were free there in their, their dialectical march of history to, 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 to really you know, begin to push forward their philosophy, regardless of what Rome would say about it. And for, the, and for that matter, Rome was condemning it in 1846, qui pluribus, by Pope yep. Pius IX, the encyclical, two years before the manifesto was even published. So, so they saw Luther. They they saw great value in what Luther did, even though surely Luther would have been appalled by by what they were doing. Well, but he he kind of started the slippery slope. And you know, one of the things that I really took away from the book was whether it's Marx or Engel or whoever. You know, they they were raised in a religious family, but when they got to college, all hell broke loose. And isn't that what we're seeing today? And with some of our students, we parents send their kids to college and, you know, they think, wow, you know, I'm going to have an Ivy League education at Columbia or wherever. And they just get indoctrinated. And, and that was the kind of the beginning of the end for these two guys that wrote the manifesto. Yeah, it really was. It, it happened for, for, with, with Marx in college and, and then with Ingalls as well. And, and Ingalls' father was a, was a faithful Christian industrialist. 
In fact, that's where not only Ingalls got all of his money through the inheritance. This is ironic because point three in their 10-point plan in the Communist Manifesto calls for, quote, abolition of all right of inheritance, unquote. That's for, the, that's for other where, people, Paul. That's for other people. Right. That's right. That's exactly right. It's for other people. That's right. And, and Marx got all of his money from, from Engels' inheritance. And, and Engels really struggled. I mean, Engels wanted to be a faithful Christian. And, there's, and I even quote this, this touching line is this, in, in, his, in, his, in the book where he talks about, boy, I, I have tried. I am trying to be a good Christian. I'm trying to keep the faith. I am praying very hard. And then he meets Marx, who he refers to as the monster of 10,000 devils. Yep. I mean, imagine that, right? Yeah. The Ingalls called him the monster of 10,000 devils. This, this black man from Trier, and the translation of that, he means black in the sense of, of uh, not color of skin, but, but you know, darkened figure like... Like, like, um, like evil. Uh, uh, yeah, evil. That's exactly right. So... They in Ingalls' case, his his father tried to separate Ingalls from that group, the Marxists, people like what would have been the Communists, the Communist League, from Carl and crew. And no, he got tugged in, and they ended up, you know, taking his mind, taking his soul, and yeah, he partnered with them. And and to, and and on your broader point, it is absolutely in college to this day where all of this rot starts. And I've been telling people for years, you want to know where this ideology came from? You want to know where that movement came from? You want to know where, um, you know, an entire generation in just a few years completely changes on something like same-sex marriage, on an issue like transgenderism? The answer, college, college, college. And if, and if you send your kids to those schools, that, that's, that's what's going to happen, which is why I'm such a proponent of, um, of a genuine Catholic education. And it can't be at a, at a Catholic college that has abandoned the faith. I mean, it's got to be at one of about, you know, maybe 20, maybe 20 to 30 really solid Catholic colleges that are out there in the country today. Yeah, and go to the Cardinal Newman Society if you want to find those out, because it's not Georgetown, it's, like, it's not Loyola's, it's not... <laughs> if it has Jesuit in front of it, run. Well, and, and I, I have... Um, uh, I'll just name it, uh, uh, Duquesne University, yep. which is not in, too far from Pittsburgh. you. Yeah, not too far from me. And uh, you know, I have had I've had students at Grove City College, including my student assistant for three years, um, faithful Catholic who came to Grove City College where I teach, which is a serious Christian college. It's not Catholic. It's probably largely evangelical. And she left Duquesne because she said. At least at Grove City, I won't get assaulted for my Catholic faith, like, yeah. uh, like I was getting in the classroom there. And of course, they would deny this at, at Duquesne. But um, it, it, a lot of times, it's uh, and it's not even professors in the theology department. It'll be professors in the English department, the philosophy department, and that's often where a lot of this happens at a lot of these universities. And, or the revisionist history department, which we see all too often. You know, one of the things, another thing that really struck me about the book, you know, if you're a sports fan and you follow, you know, a legendary coach, you kind of follow the coaching tree and you see all the other coaches that came from it. When you write this book, not only the infiltration of the churches, but the people, whether it's 
uh, Crowley or Durante or Hay or Dodd or Alinsky. I mean, Kate Millett. It is astounding that, you know, 150 plus years later, you look at the, the rotten fruit from that tree and it's scary. Yeah. 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 The phrase fruit from a poison tree. And, and it, it, all, it is almost as if it's cursed, right? I mean, it, 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 it's almost not enough to just say, you know, like a physical explanation, right? You would think of eating fruit from a, from a poison tree, but, but almost like a spiritual explanation, almost as, as if it's cursed. And, yeah, I, um, I probably shouldn't even go into this right here, and I'll be careful um, what I say and what I don't say, but I've received so many emails in the last few weeks from people on Black Lives Matter and the latest spiritual um, questions about the founders of the group, Patrice Cullors and Elise yep. Garza. Yep. And for the record, that's not in this book. So I, no, it I, isn't. I, it's not in the book, but they are professed Marxists and proud of it. They are. They are and, I, and I've read in the last few weeks, the, I've had a bunch of people email me, um, reverends, you know, um, you know, men, men of the cloth, and asking about the latest reports from Patrice Cullors, not just on the We Are Trained Marxist statement, but on some of the spiritual stuff, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They want to know, you know, is this channeling? Is this speaking to the dead? Uh, what kind of a thing are they, are they engaging in here? And, and I, I've tried to look into it. I, it's, there's only so much you know, one person can, can, can look into. But somebody wrote to me, isn't this shocking? And I said, well, it depends on, on what it is, but, but, I, but I wouldn't be shocked, <laughs> right? Because, because, again, a lot of this stuff extends from that worldview, from, from, from that philosophy. So if, um, if, she, if it turns out that she's a Marxist with some sort of really bad spirituality, really troubling spirituality, would I be surprised? No, because I've seen this throughout the history of the movement. I see that again and again and again. Again, I don't know if that's the case for her, but, but it wouldn't surprise me because I've seen it over and over and over. And for people who just simply would pause to research this and look at it and think about it in, in a very objective way, right, um, they're going to, they'll, they'll, they'll see this. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll see it in figures like, Walter Durante, um, Walter Benjamin, Kate Millett, um, Saul Alinsky. I don't think Saul Alinsky was in the, into any pagan occult stuff, I don't think. But, but you know, that acknowledgement to Lucifer at the beginning of Rules yeah, the Radical. Yeah, the radical right? of all radicals, right? Or whatever it was yeah, said. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and people will see in the book. In fact, Deacon Jeff, I should pull this out and write something on this. The, the, the connection between... Uh, Mikhail Bakunin, who was a good friend of Marx, hailing Lucifer as this glorious first rebel um, who bought for himself his own kingdom, is almost verbatim how Alinsky yep. referred to Lucifer. And, and yet they're both atheists, right? <laughs> so <laughs> in, in a way, they it's not that they believe in Lucifer, but they like what he represents. And what he does, and that in itself is obviously very chilling. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, you lay the book out so well. I mean, just you know how systematic they were about going about things. And you know, I really enjoyed the part where you talk, you know, critical theory, the Frankfurt School. 
you know, how this stuff it was almost like a laboratory where they, you know, just kept putting out monster after monster. You know, you're, I mean, in this book, some of these people are into bestiality. I mean, it is just crazy stuff that when you leave Jesus Christ, all hell breaks loose. No pun intended. Yeah, that's, well, that's right. And Aleister Crowley and Walter Durante, Durante was the New York Times man of Moscow. He's the guy that, that won a Pulitzer and yet engaged in really hideous, egregious, if not um, intentionally false, reports about the famine in the Ukraine, Stalin. There's been a movement for many, 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 many decades to revoke his Pulitzer. And, you know, there he is in bed with, with Aleister Crowley, yeah. who called himself the wickedest man in the world. And in bed with them is a girl named, a French woman named Jane Sharon, who was the wickedest woman in the world. And they're engaging in threesomes, and and they're and they're, I can't even say the stuff on the air. No, it's just really. total debauchery, and they're yeah. reveling in it, and you know that is their lifestyle. But again, it, you you can see when when Jesus Christ becomes the enemy and Satan becomes the hero, you know everything goes, you know, goes in the toilet. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, and and Kate Millett, she's a mother. Author of Sexual Politics, yep. which was her dissertation at Columbia, and and became so famous and used by so many campuses in America that she was literally on the cover of Time magazine, which referred to her as the Mao Zedong of the women's movement. And I quote a great length from several interviews I've done with her sister Mallory, who's now today she's alive. She's a very devout Catholic, and Mallory believes that Kate was possessed. And, and 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 says so repeatedly. I mean, she doesn't flinch from it. And I say there, as I say with Karl Marx, I mean, I, I can't say if these people were possessed. I mean, I, I don't know that. But uh, yeah, but but some people some people go that far. And 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 at the very least, as the one Marx biographer Robert Payne said about Karl Marx, he he at least had the sort of devil's malignity. The, the, it seemed at times to, to understand that he was doing works of evil. And you know that, that alone is damaging enough. Well, you know, I've read uh, The School of Darkness about Bella Dodd, and I'd read Carrie Gress's book, you know, The Anti-Mary, where Kate Millett is, you know, front and center. And, mm-hmm. you know, it is, it is scary. I mean, I think one of the things that, you know, you really tied the book up great when you started talking about cultural Marxism. Right. We kind of went from, uh, you know, the north, you know, what Marxism was to this cultural Marxism, whether it's Black Lives Matter. You know, we got racism. We have, you know, sexual orientation issues. I mean, everybody's competing. Everybody's battling against everybody. It's just divide and conquer. And communists love this, don't they? Yeah. And, and in fact, it's interesting. You mentioned Black Lives Matter there right now. They're in the process of scrubbing the website. Um, the entire what we believe section that had um, the stuff about uh, getting people together to rally to quote disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure unquote it's gone it's been completely removed and there are a number of articles on that today and in the last couple of days from people that are watching it uh, the word comrades it's now all gone that's all been removed but 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 that section if you read that. 
their application of Marxism there is is cultural and sexual. Yep. So it, they're you know they're not applying it to like George Floyd, right? They're not applying it to uh, economic you know, wealth redistribution. They're not applying it in a classical Marxist sense of class, right? Uh, the word proletariat, bourgeoisie, that's not there. But words like comrades were there. So you know, they're, they're applying it. And, and Patrice Culler is one of the founders. She says that uh, myself and Alicia Garza, my co-founder, we are trained Marxists. We are superversed in ideological theories. That is our ideological framework. We, we spent a year reading Marx and Lenin and Mao. So that, the, the manifestation of that at the website in the Web We Believe section, it, it was applied culturally. It was applied sexually. They use words like cisgender, yep. um, heteronormative. So you know, that's where a lot of today's Marxists are operating. They're, 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 not, they're not in West Virginia trying to organize you know, coal miners, <laughs> right? Yeah. They're, not, they're not working on Kentucky coal miners. They're not working on steelworkers in Pittsburgh. They're not trying to... Um, you know, coalesce Midwest farmers in, into an agricultural collective. Now, you go to the website of People's World, which is the flagship publication of Communist Party USA, and, and they say they issue a call there for what they call cultural workers. So that, that's, that's the vineyard that they're toiling in. I was reading the uh, great 1937 church en- encyclical, uh, Divini Redemptoris, on atheistic communism, which was by Pius XI. I was reading it again last night, Deacon Jeff, and they have a bunch of statements in there about how the most vulnerable to this this Marxist claptrap nonsense are people that just aren't very experienced in life, who, who, just, who just don't recognize the, the sophistry, the sophisms is the word they use, who, you know, the people who are susceptible and just simply don't have enough life experiences. And then they note that one of the worst areas for purveying the claptrap are universities. So they, they really prey upon the young, upon the youth. And you know, those, those are the revolutionaries in the streets, not typically a mom or dad who's at home raising three or four kids. And you know, that, that's who's vulnerable. And again, that, that, that's why what's happening in the college is so crucial. How can people follow what you're doing, Paul? Well, I'm a regular columnist for the American Spectator. So if you just go to uh, Google my name, Paul Kengor, the American Spectator, I have a column archive there. And I'm, I also write uh, with the Institute for Faith and Freedom at Grove City College. And, and you can get this book at Amazon, The Devil and Karl Marx.